Welcome to Emran's Podcast, episode number 161. This is your host, Suman Sarwal. Today we have an interview podcast. I hope you will enjoy. Visit emrans.com to get latest discount codes. Please follow Marathon Runs anywhere you find. YouTube, TikTok, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and so on. Thanks for being out there. Enjoy the podcast. I would like to welcome Corey Waltering to Emran's Podcast. Corey, how are you doing today? I'm pretty good. How are you? I'm doing great. Uh, I caught you here uh, driving uh, towards California. So are you going to California for, for races or just a pleasure? Or what, what are you headed that way? Yeah. Um, so I'm currently driving to California from Illinois. And uh, I will be running the 25-kilometer race at the Canyons Endurance Run this weekend. And then from there, I will be headed down to Arizona and running the Cocodona 250. Wow. Looks like you have a pretty booked schedule ahead of you. You are new to this podcast. Uh, before you go further, I just want to introduce you. are our Ipen Hody Trail uh, fastest uh, known time. So you just had a record recently. Uh, we will talk about that as part of our main podcast. And then uh, let's start your interview. You know, you came here, ran the Pinhody Trail. Tell us about your running journey. How did you end up at Pinhody? Uh, kind of give us a brief background so our listener can understand how you you able to break this. And we can go in detail about running the fastest time here at the Pinhody Trail. Yeah of an interesting background into ultra running uh i've been running you know since i was probably seven years old or so um but anything i was doing was i was like 200 meters 400 meters 800 meters all through junior high high school and college in college i moved up more to like the mile and then i was running cross country but on the track, like I really still enjoyed 400, 800 meters. And so it's just really funny because in college, I said that I would never run a marathon <laughs> because I thought a marathon was just a way too long of a distance for anybody to ever run. But I also had a swimming background. And so I kept getting injured in college. And so uh, my next logical option was to buy a bicycle and I started training for triathlons and qualified for the Half Ironman World Championships twice while I was still in college. And so after college, I thought I wanted to become a professional triathlete. So I moved from Illinois to Boulder, Colorado. I started hanging out with trail runners in Colorado. And it was just really funny because my goal of becoming a triathlete uh, kind of changed. And I paced a friend at the Leadville 100, which I didn't even know that people ran 100-mile races. I didn't even really, like, I thought that was just, I was like, whoa, like, someone's going to run 100 miles on foot, and I didn't realize that it was going to be on trail. I didn't even know where Leadville was. Like, I was so just new to all of this, but it was a great experience, and because of that, I basically quit triathlon and started trail running. Wow. So, and it, it's one of those things that, like, this is only six, seven years ago that I even found out what trail running was. And so it's just kind of funny because uh, I had never even run a marathon when I was pacing my friend at Leadville. And, and then I was like, I think I'm going to run a marathon. And then I ran a marathon and absolutely loved it. And then that just kind of set off a chain reaction of getting into trail running. 
So uh, your story goes, you jumped off from uh, doing the triathlon to trail running. Uh, kind of skipped the whole road marathon. Did you run a lot of road marathons? or? I focused on the road marathon for maybe a year or so, but I was still always focused on trail racing as I was doing road marathons. I actually ran the Mercedes Marathon in Birmingham in 2016. Wow, I was here. (laughs) Probably you're really ahead. I usually pace the race here if I'm not racing. Oh, nice. Mercedes, our local marathon, so definitely we must have cross path then. Yeah, it's a great marathon. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, this year we it didn't happen, so but but hopefully we can bring it back next year. Talking about trail running, uh, let's kind of focus on that. So you you transition from uh, triathlon to trail, or you know going from really uh, track to triathlon to trail. Uh, let's talk about uh, how the, did that help you to kind of get you know trail. You know, as I got got in trail i got slower as i went in trail running a road versus trail is trail is a lot different and coming from you know track uh cross country high school cross cross country or cause uh track teams to coming all the way to this ultra distance run is much much different tell us about how did it prepare you to be where you are now yeah so i would say that coming from the track and field system or growing up in the track and field system, really, I think it helps a lot in terms of just building overall endurance because, like, racing 800 meters on the track is honestly one of the most painful races that I've ever done. It's a different kind of pain than an ultra, but it's still, you know, less than two minutes of just basically all-out running, and it hurts. And so you kind of get used to that. So then coming over to the trail, it's like, oh, well, this... This hurts, but it's more of like a slow burn rather than like a sharp, intense pain for a couple minutes. So I think that it's just interesting looking back on it, how I think that's kind of shaped my ability to like withstand pain a little bit more because I'm like, oh, well, this still doesn't burn or this doesn't hurt like an 800 did. But honestly, it helps with just the overall leg speed, turnover, efficiency And then moving into the ultra space was more uh, just learning to problem solve on the go and figure out the nutrition and the hydration side of things. And also just being able to focus for hours at a time rather than minutes at a time. (laughs) Definitely. One of the reasons I asked because my younger daughter was in a middle school track and field and then she went to her second season. So so definitely uh, it's... um, I'm trying to teach her that, you know, she's built for ultra, but she doesn't understand what that means, you know. She has seen me running, but she's like, I'm just finishing 800. Don't even talk about ultra, you know. <laughs> so, Absolutely. So, you know, it's, a, it's a, looking at you, you know, in the, in the year's future for her, you know, kind of young athlete as they're coming in um, to, the, to the sports, you know, running sports how far they can go that's kind of where where you set that goal you know you kept going and going further and further so let's keep going um have you done a hundred miler before you uh, doing this uh Pinhoti challenge yes so i have done i think four 100 mile races so far uh the dunes 100 in florida western states Superior 100 and Coldwater Rumble 100, which I I really enjoy the 100-mile distance. Um, I think it's a great distance. It's a really fun distance to cover on foot. 
I kind of agree with you, but <laughs> but I just recently had to drop out all mile 55. I don't want to cry a river here, but most of my listeners know about by now. Uh, but definitely, uh, yeah, 100 mile or breaks way beyond challenging. You know, there's a lot of thing goes in. What is the fastest time for a 100 miler so far? Uh, I ran 1931 at Western States uh, in 2018. Definitely. That's a pretty pretty good time for that course. Yeah, it was fun. I really enjoyed it. It was funny. I got in with one ticket into the lottery. And so uh, it, was, it was just funny because I had done one 100 miler before that. And then I was like, oh, maybe I'll do Western States sometime. But uh, wasn't plan- didn't expect to get in. And then it was the first time I applied and got in. So I was like, <laughs> Oh, I was like, this this is not even on my radar yet. And then I went and had a really fun time at the race and ran well. Definitely. You are very, uh, what do you get, lucky few these days, you know, getting in for one ticket, you know, <laughs> everything lined up for you. So you, you said that you liked about 100 mile or um, our listener, you know, I have both running an ultra and the marathon. Let's talk about that a little bit. What do you like about it? What's fun about 100? You know, I mean, I can I can talk all day to my runners, uh, my listeners, but but I wanted to hear from you. What is the fun for you? Yeah, 100 milers are fun because it's basically a day of just like problem solving as you go. And I love that. You can put in, you know, just actually great training cycles for a 100 miler and still have things go wrong. But it's not necessarily like how fit you are. It's more like how quickly can you solve this problem or how quickly can you solve this issue along with like how are you going to react when something goes wrong that maybe you don't expect to happen. And so that's what I love about it because for me, like I go into all of them, like I'm there to have fun. I'm there to have a good day. But I'm also just like, what's that thing going to be that goes wrong? And definitely, uh, that's that's one of the things uh, for me as well, trying to solve. And how long can you withstand that problem that you have or had or you're having? You know what I mean? Sometimes, yeah. uh, you know, for me, uh, I usually just stay there. But this time I dropped out because I just didn't want to go any more further from the problem that I have. And then, you know, how long I had to, you know, solve that problem. So... So definitely running 100 uh, is a totally different ball game, you know, especially ultra distance. I've been thinking about, you know, more talking more and more how the 100 is um, as I go forward because it gets interesting, um, you know. Like uh, when you run a 5K, 10K is kind of easy, correct? When you run a 50K, a 50 mile can be doable. But when you run 50, 100 is totally different. You know, it's just like from 50 to 100 is totally different games. Yes, they are very different. And... An interesting thing that I've just noticed about myself over the last couple of years is um, I I am a decent 100-mile runner. I used to be really good at 50 miles, but I have not figured out the 100K. Mm. And so I've only finished two 100K races of like five or six that I've started. And it's always just there's some sort of injury or something that's just like going just really wrong to the point that I can't fix it. And it's been really frustrating over the past couple of years um, 
to just not be able to figure out that 100k distance. Well, yeah, I have never done 100k. Kind of, I, I said this summer I wanted to run at 100k just at least to kind of know that distance and how it feels. 100k would be a good, pretty interesting distance to go. For me, it's just like there's there seems to be something in that jump from 50 miles to 100k that just doesn't quite uh, match up, I guess. So definitely, it will be interesting to see. So let's uh, let's move on to this interview, this our discussion. Uh, you came here, ran the ran this uh, Pinhoti um, uh, fastest known time. So tell us about where this idea came from. Um, yeah, so Pinhoti uh, was just kind of something that uh, I guess worked out. Because uh, originally I was going to go after the AT this year. And then with COVID, they were kind of asking through hikers uh, to not uh, do the AT this year. Mm. And I, I was like, yeah, I guess that's, that's fair. And best with like my support crew and all of that. I mean, we, we'd be bringing quite a few people to the trail. So uh, I decided to just not do the AT this year and push that to next year. But then I was going to do the Arizona Trail. So I had been out in Nevada and Arizona basically this whole winter, just training on like desert terrain, getting used to it and getting just super excited for it. And uh, Arizona was getting just a ton of snow in the week or so before I was supposed to be starting. And basically, that kind of ruined my plan for the Arizona Trail, along with a small back issue that I was dealing with. And so then it just kind of became like, okay, what should I do? Because I'm still in shape right now, and I'd like to do something, but I didn't want to take on something that was like a thousand plus miles again uh, yet. And I just started kind of looking at trails. And Pinhoti came up. So uh, I went to Chattanooga to do the Stillhouse 100K and ended up dropping out of Stillhouse because of the back issue that I was still dealing with. And luckily got in to see a really awesome chiropractor up in Chattanooga. And the back issue was pretty much fixed after that. So uh, since we were already in Chattanooga, I'm like, hey, we should probably watch some YouTube videos on Pinhoti and then uh, let's go do this. It came just like that. Yeah. Uh, so let's uh, start there. So usually when you break somebody's record, uh, you I heard you had to call them. Uh, did you have to call <laughs> our previous record holder? Yeah, I sent a message to Caleb and he responded to it. So that was awesome. And I told him like the week of that I was going to do it because like, I decided that I was going to do this only uh, basically like a week before I started. Definitely. Yeah. Caleb is a good friend. Um, known him for a long time. Let's focus on this a little bit uh, because the plan to to go after Penhody uh, uh, time, uh, fast time. Um, so it came just like that. Uh, how did you prepare? Were you prepared? Uh, you kind of semi-prepared mentally, but uh, but you had to bring your crew. You mentioned that. Um you got to know the trail. How did you prepare? How, what was the preparation like for you? So basically, my crew was already traveling with me because of Stillhouse. Mm. And then uh, we had a camera crew that was supposed to be with us on the Arizona Trail. 
but because we didn't do the Arizona trail, they ended up driving down through Pinhoti rather than uh, Arizona. So like that was already in line. But other than that, like I was trying to find pacers, but like I just didn't know anyone that was going to be able to pace. And so like a couple people heard that I was doing it and they put the word out and asked if I could use pacers. And then like, it was all local people that ended up pacing, except for uh, like two of my friends, I guess. This is like, we threw it all together in like a week. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. I didn't hear till uh, till you actually finished or close to finishing uh, because, you know, I was in the Facebook, uh, some of the friends were posting about it. Um, so definitely, that's interesting. Uh, where did you start? We started Alabama. We went south to north. Yeah, I've never been to the startup in Hody Trail. I, th- I heard it's uh, off the 280 down um, oh, Sylacauga. Yep. I have never been to start up in Hody. Yeah, because usually when we run 100 mile or I've done a couple up in Hody 100, we start uh, kind of middle um, of that and come down south. We run about 60, 70 percent up in Hody Trail, but we come south. I've never gone to north. But how, how was the experience starting south to north for you? I had never stepped foot on the trail until the day that I started. Mm-hmm. So um, I, for me, it was like, this is just what the trail is. I didn't know any different. It was good. Um, I was just actually really surprised at the weather when I was there because the nighttime lows were much colder than I thought they were going to be. Yeah, it's been a cold here in South. You're talking about snow in the Midwest, but it was, it's still cold here in South. So what is the hardest part for you up in Hody Trail at the beginning? We're talking about South Side, Alabama Side. Which part was the hardest? The Alabama Side. I would say that the hardest part on the Alabama Side is, I don't know, maybe uh, maybe Stairway to Heaven. That was interesting, just because you have like the big rock gardens there. And luckily, I was able to hit them during the daytime rather than at night, uh, because I don't think I'd have been able to find my way through at night. Is this your first FKT? It is not. So last year, I did the Ice Age Trail in Wisconsin, which is 1,147 miles. And I set the record on that at 21 days and 13 hours. And then in Vegas, there is a mountain called Frenchman Mountain. And it's 4.2 miles from base to summit to base uh, with about 2,200 feet of elevation gain. And I just set that one in January. So when you do this kind of uh, record setting uh, run, uh, you know, you're running by yourself mostly so how do you break uh the day and night and how does that work uh breaks uh, let's talk about that a little bit so this time uh for Pinhoti, i slept for uh less than four hours total for the five days which is not necessarily a great plan but i was just moving a bit slower than i wanted to be on like days two and three so i basically chose not to sleep and just keep on moving through the day and night on something like ice age that was three weeks i was getting four to five hours of sleep a night wow you are moving there and four hours of sleep in four or five days uh that is another challenge. We can talk in a probably different podcast. So when you do that, you you eat and run, or you stop to eat at least. 
Yeah, so I'll do both. Uh, I'll take in calories while I'm out on the trail, and then I'll also stop every six hours or so and eat something a little bit more substantial. So we had a camp stove with us. So one night we had um, Chili Mac, and one night there was an awesome trail angel out there that dropped off two uh, homemade soups. Mm. Um and then other nights, like I had Panda Express when I got to Dalton, which was amazing. Just like so many little things like that become just super awesome, just little motivational type things to actually come off the trail at, you know, 5 a.m. and have warm food. Definitely. And, you know, especially you're, you're running day and night nonstop or a moving forward. So talking about that, um, moving forward day and night, was it a challenging for you having sleep deprived and um, in the moving forward? Uh, how does that work for you? That was very challenging for me because the longest sleep stop that I had was 35 minutes of sleep uh, and the shortest was a five minute nap uh, on the side mm. of the trail. It just became really challenging to uh, basically be getting like 10 or 15 minute naps and then to be motivated to just get up and be like, great, I have to put my shoes and socks on and then keep on moving. Because I was really struggling after the sun would come up, I would start to get tired again from like 8 a.m. to 10 a.m. And I was also like kind of in like that still kind of cold part of the morning. So mm. it was just taking a lot of mental energy to be motivated to be moving quickly at those times after you're already tired. And then you're kind of losing motivation without getting sleep and just having you know, like, oh, this is the third night that I've been up all night. All of a sudden, it's like your brain starts to get really foggy and you just feel like you're not making the best decisions when it comes to taking in fluids or calories or um, just moving quickly or even like foot placement on the trail. Definitely. You know, running 100 miles, <laughs> sleepless night. I know how it is uh, for you. It's really difficult. Uh, let's uh, let's keep moving on this uh, this uh, trail journey that you went through, Alabama side, uh, Georgia side. What are the things that that you saw on Georgia side? I've never ran a Georgia Penhody, so let's talk about just a little bit on Penhody and on Georgia side. Uh, the Georgia side has more road than the Alabama side, and one of those road stretches comes pretty much in like your final day where you have like a 28 mile road stretch followed by like 49 miles of trail. The road is definitely where I was making up time. And that's how it usually goes for me. Cause I coming from like a track and a road background, like the roads are where I can really make up time if I need to. But that last road stretch hitting that in the middle of the night was just really rough to be motivated to be out on these country roads and then knowing that i still have um a trail section coming up like a 49 mile trail stretch that starts out with like an eight mile climb mm. um i was like i know that i can run this well but it's like oh once i get off the road like i still have an eight mile climb coming up before there's like any sort of relief i don't think i enjoyed one side more than the other I think that I was probably faster moving in Georgia than I was in Alabama, though. Uh, one thing I just kind of was uh, wondering about, uh, when you do these long, long trails, 
uh, you know, not only this one, but the, all the other ones you have done. You know, how do you navigate? Um, well, Pinhoti is absolutely marked super well. So that's exciting because, like, I'll use the Gut Hooks app and I'll use um, just, like, hopefully I have a pacer with me that also either knows that area, maybe they're local or whatever. Um, but then also it's, like, Sometimes it's just like I'm just out there by myself and I'm navigating on, you know, my phone in the middle of the night. And that works, too. But I mean, that's also just energy that you have to use. And this time I actually spent um, a lot of the time in front of my pacers rather than having them in front of me. So I was actually doing a lot of the navigation and they were just kind of confirming that we were on track or on the trail. And so that can also be a challenge. Definitely. Have you ever gotten off the track uh, whenever you do this long, uh, long, long runs? Yeah, we had a minor section on Pinhody in like the final like 25 miles where we went off trail for it ended up only being like a mile and a half mistake, but it was an uphill mile and a half. I just joked about it. I'm like, oh, good. I got some extra vert training in today. And so uh, my pacers <laughs> were very happy that I was still joking about it, you know, at like mile 330 or whatever. On Ice Age, I actually had a really big navigational mistake that cost me about four hours. It wasn't that I was necessarily on the wrong trail. It was that there was an old section of the Ice Age trail and the new section of the Ice Age trail. To get the FKT, you have to go on the new section. And I went on the old section, which then just kind of like it was marked, it was marked, and then it just wasn't marked, and I was still, like, trying to navigate it, and just couldn't find it, and so I ended up having to, like, bushwhack out to a road, and then walk up to where the trail was supposed to come out on that road, and then go back into the spot where I got off of the trail, and then come back out the correct way, and it was just, like, a four-hour navigational mistake that I was really not super thrilled about because it was four hours, but it was also like in the hottest part of the day. And then I had a, I think I had a 40 mile road section coming up after that. And so I was really excited to sit down and eat dinner before starting that road section. And then uh, we just chose not to sit down and eat dinner and mm. just go straight to the road section. So like we, we build in time for navigational errors and stuff like that. But when it's something that's, you know, four hours, like that's, I mean, that's one sixth of your day. Yep. That's a lot of time. And and just getting lost in a in a trail race or something, even a little bit, you know, I've, I've gotten lost or, you know, somebody pulled the flag off and it went up the wrong way. And sometimes it's a mental challenge to just put yourself back, you know, even for half an hour or, you know, 15 minutes and try to go back, you know, wherever you you got off. Uh, you you went off for four hours. That's that's probably really tough. One of the things I think you mentioned about having a crew, how important it is. I know that I have, I have people have asked, and we have talked about even going to the Pinhoti because we haven't done ourselves. Uh, so how important it is to have a crew? Can you, can we talk about that a little bit? Yeah, uh, I love having a crew because. For me, that usually makes my job extremely simple. Basically means that my job is to get down the trail as fast as possible, and I don't have to worry about anything else. Like, it's not my job to worry about logistics. It's not my job to figure out, you know, where we are staying or where we're sleeping or even, like, what I'm having for food. 
because my crew will just have those things ready for me and they'll eliminate the options of like, oh, do I want SpaghettiOs or do I want soup or do I want a cheeseburger or something? And it's like, great, they have hot food here and it's ready for me. So here I go. Like, that's what I get. And so by eliminating a lot of these other decisions, like distractions, basically, I can focus all of my energy on just making sure I'm taking care of my body and getting down the trail as fast as possible. So definitely, I mean, you know, how do you, planning-wise, it looks like for this one, um, you didn't have a lot of planning, but uh, when you have planned for three weeks, how do you plan a crew, uh, have somebody come in to, you know, run, pace, crew you for three weeks? How does that work? Yeah, so I'll have different people that will kind of come in and out at times. So like Kevin, uh, the photographer... Uh, social media dude, all that stuff. He, we basically tell people, hey, like, uh, he has access to my athlete page on Facebook, and then uh, he has his own Facebook and Instagram and stuff. So we tell people, like, hey, if they want to pace, uh, then, you know, send a message to the athlete page, and then Kevin will get back to them, and he can set up, like, okay, like, this is where we need pacers or this is a, a section that we're really not sure about so if someone's come out for this that'd be great it was interesting on this one because uh there are a couple of locals that basically just kept coming back out which was super super awesome then like during ice age uh i actually brought down two of my own pacers plus people were uh volunteered to come out and run with us but by the end of Ice Age, like I had basically worn out my pacers that were there with me for basically, you know, two of the three weeks total. And so like we really relied on locals, especially towards the end, to be able to navigate the trail or make sure there's somebody out there with me at night. Because like my pacers, they were still putting in about 100, 150 miles a week with me when they're out there. And like before this, like neither of them had even run an ultra before. Mm. And then like, you know, on the third week, they put in 150 miles and we're like, I just, I can't run anymore. <laughs> yeah, I, I get it. You know, as much as it sounds so fun to do uh, FKT, um, looking afterwards sounds so great. But uh, listening to you, you know, there's so many different variants, so much challenges that you have to go through. Tell us about what is the hardest part. I mean, I, I hear you running at the longer distance, sleeping less, food, and on top of that now trying to find a crew and pacer. Out of this four, four pillar, I guess uh, we can think about that like that way. What is the hardest one for you? Yeah, honestly, it, it has to be the sleep deprivation has to be one of the hardest things because sleep deprivation basically kind of determines your motivation for this stuff. And so like when you're just exhausted and super tired and you lose motivation to get down the trail, you know, quickly because you're just tired, then that becomes like one of the really hard things you have to deal with. It can be really hard. So like during this, like I wanted to quit probably 20 different times hmm. because I knew that there is a hotel with a hot tub like you know an hour down the road somewhere and so like I could easily choose to be comfortable and warm and you know not hungry and sleep in a comfortable bed like I could absolutely have chosen to do that and it would have been totally fine and so like there are multiple times where I was like I think I'm going to quit. I think I'm going to quit. And then I, I told one of my pacers at one point, I was like, 
I think that this is the end. And he's like, oh, yeah, you have like 70 miles left. It is almost the end. <laughs> and I was like, I was like, you are totally not even understanding what I'm saying right now. Another point, I was just like, I told one of my crew members, I was like, I'm done. And they're just like, yeah, you're done with that section. And now you're eating lunch and going back out. Like they weren't even thinking anything of it. And so it was just really funny when I was communicating with my crew, like, hey, I think I'm quitting this. They're all just like, yeah, like they act like they didn't even hear it or they didn't understand what I was saying. So that was kind of funny. And just like, I don't know. I mean, if the crew's not going to let me quit, then I can't quit. There's another section where I just really struggled is on the Georgia side. And it was a road section. And I hit this road section at probably, I'm going to say noon maybe 1 p.m and it was just extremely hot that day and there's no shade on this road and i um coming up to this gas station and i'm sitting in one of the crew vehicles for a second and i was just like yeah i think i'll go back out at maybe like 4 p.m or so i was like it'll be totally fine it's like it should start cooling off shortly after that so this will be okay and so I like, I don't remember telling them that I would go back out after 4 p.m. Because in my head, I had already said that I was done. And so I guess I didn't tell them that I was actually going to quit at that gas station. Um, so I sat there, I had a chicken sandwich, and then I also had a fish sandwich. And I got a cookie from the gas station. And I had three beers. And then it was 4 p.m. And everyone's like, it's 4 p.m. You said you're going to go back out. And I was like, I don't remember saying this. I was like, <laughs> I don't remember telling you guys that I would go back out at 4 p.m. I remember telling you that I'm done. And they're like, no, you're almost done with this section. You still have like two more road miles and then you're back on the trail. And I was just like, how are you guys not understanding what I'm saying right now? And they're out there just like putting my shoes and socks back on me and everything. And they're just like, yeah, you're ready to go. It, it brings all kind of memory when I'm every time I'm trying to quit a hundred mile. This year I didn't have a crew or pacer. I thought I was tough enough to go without them. So it's so important when usually one of my line here is when, when, the, when mine cannot think, you know, you're, you have no idea what you're doing. You need a crew and pacer. Um, to guide you through this dark time you know I, th I think that's that's where you were your mind is saying one thing and not thinking and then current is like ah we we don't want to hear it you got to keep going so so definitely um that's so important let's talk a little bit about uh something outside here um you headed out to run 250 miles have you ever done that distance uh so i have never officially done a race that is longer than uh 106 miles mm. so this will be my first attempt at something like that um however at the end of ice age i covered 275 miles in uh like less than four days so i kind of have the experience of that and then like with Kenhody, uh i have experience but like this is going to be completely different because there are 17 aid stations and the course is 200 and like 252 miles, I think, but it's only 25,000 feet of elevation gain. So it's not as much elevation gain as I was thinking there would be, which I don't know if that is a good thing or not. That'll be interesting to see because the reason I ask is like, you know, like I said, you already have covered those distance in a different ways and this will be a race environment. We all runners are, when there's somebody's lining up with you, it gets more competitive uh, 
rather than just running by yourself, even though you're trying to break somebody's time or trying to be the fastest known time. So definitely, it'll be interesting to follow you on that race. When is that race? Uh, that starts May 3rd. It's a Monday. It starts at 5 a.m. Pacific time. So that will be fun. And uh, they actually have... Uh, everyone will be wearing a spot tracker. And so you'll be able to see like where everybody is on the course. And then they have... Um, they're going to be doing like a live feed uh, throughout the race. So they'll be doing updates and just like interviews and stuff like that as people are out there. So that will be really fun for, you know, people back home to track this thing. Definitely. Do you think, uh, you know, once you come out, hopefully you can tell us, uh, you know, going beyond 100, you know, I call 100 ultra, ultra distance now, ultra, ultra, ultra distance, <laughs> 200. Is this the new challenge out there? Yeah, I mean, honestly, I'm excited for this just because I think that the 200-mile stuff is going to start gaining popularity. And it's something that people want because I think it's uh, it's just the, it's that new challenge. It's like, okay, you've done 100 miles. You've done it a couple times. But now it's like, how far can you push? Or how far are you willing to push, I guess that is. So there are races out there like Fat Dog 120, there's, you know, Badwater 135, there are some international races that are a bit longer than 100 miles, but I think it's just going to be this new thing that people are going to enjoy. Like, at the end of this year, um, I'm signed up for Across Florida 200, which I'm super excited for that as well. Definitely. It's uh, it's getting interesting, you know, people like even like me, who has run um, eight hundred mile or I cannot think going beyond but at the same time it's just something to look at it in the future but as I get older my limit is 50 so <laughs> but, but <laughs> not 50k 50 mile or so we'll see how that all pan out as I'm looking at a 100 mile or bib as I'm talking to you I was thinking like ah oh, what is the next 100 I didn't get to finish the last 100 I may go out there just run by myself listen to you just so motivated so like oh man I need to go so so let's talk about that. Uh, one thing I wanted to really find out, because I would go out there and train by myself. Even last week, and I was trying to do 50K, and I ran out of time. But but it, running by yourself, challenging, trying to beat somebody's time uh, versus running with the you know, actual race. What is, the, what is the difference there? You know, you have done a few of this, and I'm, I'm sure this is not the last time we'll hear you uh, trying to uh, break, break the record time in any course. What is the challenge when you have to go, you know, whatever you're doing? And we, you talked about it a little bit already, and we discussed many things. So let's talk about just a little bit racing versus actual, you know, person ahead of you or behind you or, or actually chasing a time. Yeah. So head-to-head competition is fun. And, you know, you know exactly where you're at during that. And even if you're not going after a course record, even if you're just, you know, racing the, the people around you or trying to race for the win like that, that's motivation right there just to get to the finish line. And like in a race, you know, there's a definite start and a definite finish. Whereas something like the, an FKT, yes, there is a definite start. There is a definite finish, but like you can choose your start time. Like I didn't start till 10 AM. Like I didn't have to start at 5 AM because other Mm. people started at 5 AM. It's like I started at 10 AM. Um, and so with that, you really have to be motivated to uh, just keep moving, even when you can't see that there's anybody else around you. And even when it comes to, like, pacers and stuff, like, 
they still have to be able to motivate you to keep on moving. Um, it's just weird because when you're going after a FKT, I mean, you know how many miles you've covered and how many hours or days it's been, but you don't necessarily exactly know like how like how well that person moved over the final, say, 100 miles or over the mm. final 50 miles. And you don't always know like when they stopped or if they stopped and uh, stuff like that. And so that makes it interesting because it's like you can't play somebody else's game. You have to make your own strategy, but you have to make sure you're doing the strategy in a way that's going to get the record. Definitely. I mean, this is a future question for for you probably. If you know you're not going to break the record, would you have continued? Absolutely, especially for like Penhody as like by day four, I was just like, I don't know if I'm going to get the record or not, but like, here we go. Uh, I'm still going to finish. Uh, if it's something that would be, I guess the only thing that would really stop me from finishing something of that length or so would be if there's injury that could potentially be like, career ending or something that could um, take like just a really long time to heal or like something is broken, then I, I would probably stop. But like I've had like during ice age, I rolled my ankle on day five and kept on going. So it's like, mm. I still have two weeks left of this thing. Uh, at Pinhody, I sprained my wrist on day two and my ankle injury started coming back. And so like I had a swollen ankle and a swollen wrist it was just like, well, it's a good thing I don't really use my hands to run, I guess, you know, <laughs> like, and so because of that, at times I was like, I was like, I need to also just be smart about the recovery time of this and what can potentially happen. But I was like, I'm still going to finish this thing and moved a little bit slower in the final days, but I like, that was okay. Definitely. Yeah. But I mean, if it's something that like, let's say it's something that's going to take me six weeks to do and I'm injured on like two weeks in or three weeks in and it's bad enough, then I think that I would stop, but it wouldn't be because I wasn't getting the record. It'd just be more uh, from the fact of like, I need to take care of my body. Definitely. Usually when I have pacer, usually I tell them that, you know, only stop when there's a medical situation. But, you know, sometimes, you know, sometimes you just don't know what what uh, what's going to happen. You know, just have to keep moving and take it the way it is. Yeah, uh, one question I left out here is uh, whenever somebody beats a record, do they have to go to north to south or south to north, or can is the two different records? I'm actually not sure on that. Yeah, I went south to north because that's what Caleb did. So uh, I think that you're supposed to go the direction that the other person went. But I don't. There could be two records for it. I'm not. I'm not exactly sure on that one. Okay, Corey. We talked about so many different things. I know you're driving uh, West Coast. Must be fun. Um, we're here in Alabama. Uh, listen to you, and uh, hopefully you have a great uh, race uh, next couple of weeks. And exciting. I'd like to follow you uh, on you know your next race, and definitely uh, good luck with that. Uh, before we close this interview. Uh, just uh, give us a words of advice or talk to the next guy who wants to break a record here at uh, Penhody. What would you tell him or her? Yeah, um, I would say take more than a week to plan this. Uh, uh, try to get on the trail ahead of time if you can. And honestly, it's um, the, the record, I think, is still beatable and doable have a good crew that knows what you want and how to keep you motivated when 
uh, you hit some of those lows. And I think, you know, uh, I think it's really beatable. Like, as I said before, like a couple of the big things end up just being like nutrition and hydration. Like if you can keep the calories coming in, you'll be fine. That's a great point. And of course, yeah, planning ahead for anything, it's always good. And maybe training for some of us. So definitely, uh, thanks for coming to um, Alabama and breaking the record. And hopefully we'll, this will not be the last time we'll see here in Alabama. And hopefully you'll come back and run some of our races here. Absolutely. I'd love to come down and do some races. Yeah, maybe we'll come down and run Pinhody 100. Uh, thanks for your time and um, congratulations for your um, FKT fast known time here at Penhody and uh, looking forward to seeing you in person somewhere in the race or going fast uh, ahead of me but <laughs> definitely uh, <laughs> thanks for your time yeah thank you